You know, we've got a slightly new format. Here's my plant. Here's my cup. Here's my Bible. That's all I need. A cup, a Bible, and a little something green. Uh, welcome to 715. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, we are in a new format, as you probably know, online. So if you're online right now, would you shout out? I was watching last week as Pastor Corey preached. Would you shout out your small group if you're online right now? Uh, I know last week I saw Fairfax 01, Fairfax 03, and some others in the chat. So if that's you, why don't you shout out your small group while I get set up? And if that's not you, you're not in a small group, why don't you shout out who you're watching with? If you're at home with the family, if you're by yourself, Uh, Just let us know where you're at, and we'll engage in the chat that way with you. Uh, We are in the week two of a series that Pastor Corey and I are doing centered around uh, the sovereignty of God, how God is sovereign over all. That means that he reigns over all things at all times. And uh, last week, Pastor Corey preached about how there is purpose in your pain, how there's purpose in your pain in the presence of God when you may not feel that he's so present. I'm gonna talk tonight about overcoming fear. How do we overcome fear? Other topics we'll talk about is finding courage, securing victory, and many other things, but tonight is all about overcoming fear, and these are uh, unique times. And uh, before we dive into this deep topic, I thought maybe we could laugh a little bit together. Um, You know, I wanted to kind of have my living room here. I've been telling our small group leaders, now is the time for us to be socially distant, but relationally close. So, um, you know, I hope that that you feel welcome and relationally close with us tonight. Um, But I thought we could laugh a little bit. I think the best thing to come out of this whole situation have been the memes on the internet. And so we've got a couple group chats with our families and these are flying around. And I thought we could just start tonight before jumping into fear. Maybe we could laugh a little bit, experience a little joy. So... um, I'm just going to trust that the first one is up there behind me. Uh, Introverts, please put down your books and check on your extrovert friends. We are not okay. We are not okay. (laughs) We are not okay out here. I know my wife is like, quarantine is the best. I just get to be home with my family. And no, we extroverts are struggling right now. Uh, What's the next one? The next one I think is for my homeschooling parents out there. Parents, if you're homeschooling, I feel you. It says this, if you see my kids locked outside today, mind your own business. We're having a fire drill. Okay, (laughs) they're locked out. We're just having a fire drill. Everybody outside, I get it, I get it. And uh, this last one's for Pastor Jim. Uh, Shout out to Pastor Jim. Even in a disaster, nobody wants to eat the vegan food. Even in a disaster, nobody wants the vegan food. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's something worth laughing about here. I think it's, that's always good. Um, share a little bit of joy. But tonight is about the topic of overcoming fear. These are unsettling times, certainly. These are bizarre times. They're new times for many of us. Um, but, you know, God all throughout Scripture is constantly showing us, reminding us, and teaching us how we can stand firm in the face of fear. And I'm going to use the story of a man named Joseph um, and unpack a passage, a couple of his words that I think line for line break down to a comprehensive picture about how we can overcome fear. So if you don't know the story of Joseph, you have a whole lot of Genesis to go back and read after tonight. If you do know it, I'm going to give you some quick context here, which is this. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He had visions that he would be exalted among his brothers. This made them very mad. Uh, They plotted to kill him. They beat him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. Many years later, long series of uh, incredible events, which you will go back and read if you don't know it, uh, Joseph finds himself in the inner court of Pharaoh, ruling over Egypt, specifically preparing for a coming famine and building up storehouses. Those same brothers 
who sought to destroy him and to kill him now are suffering on the end of the famine. And they come to Egypt, not knowing Joseph is alive, and finding themselves at the mercy and the whim of the brother that they tried to destroy. Joseph is in the seat of all power and authority. Pharaoh trusts him completely. And his brothers now come begging, needing the grain that only he can provide. And they, they, they beg him, you know, our father Jacob would not want you to kill us, take care of us, you know, be merciful to us. Um, and they are terrified. And they come to him in chapter 50, which is our, our passage for tonight. Genesis chapter 50, we're going to look at three verses, 19 through 21. This is Joseph's, Joseph's response. And he has them right where he, you know, if we could dream of revenge story, it's like prime, it's right here. But this is how Joseph responds to their plea for mercy and for him to not kill them. He says this, verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Would you pray with me just real quick? Father, help us tonight as we unpack the scripture in this topic. And Lord, I ask that you would speak uniquely to each person viewing this, God, that you would meet them right where they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna use this text to unpack what I think is a beautiful, a crystal clear, and almost a prophetic message for how we are to overcome fear. And in this, we know that Joseph is an allusion to Jesus. There's many similarities in storyline and character. And so when we look at Joseph, we're going to see a little bit of Jesus. And so I want to just draw that thread up front. But I've got seven steps tonight. So I'm not going to waste any time. Seven steps to overcoming fear. Number one, respect the throne. The first thing Joseph says is this. He says, do not fear. Am I standing in the place of God? Joseph immediately acknowledges who is seated on the throne, who has authority and control over the whole situation, that it's not him in the end, that there is a God seated on the throne. And he respects that. When we are fearful, when we are in times of turmoil in our soul, let us ask that same question. Am I standing in the place of God? Because when we remember that the same God The sovereign, supernatural, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, this being that exists and presides over every situation, when we remember that he exists, might we not be reminded that we were never in control to begin with? That none of this was in our control? And could it be that that same God that sits in heavenly places, that same God who knows how this all ends before it ever started, that same God whose worst plan is better than our best plan on our best day, that that same God might still be sovereign over all, even this, even whatever it is that is causing you to fear. Am I in the place of God? You know, American culture, we have this problem that many of us, are freely willing to admit that God exists and freely willing to let that change nothing about us. I've sat with too many people who said, well, yes, I believe that God exists, but, but, but. And I've got to stop and I've got to pause. And on this point, I need to spend another second on it because if there is a God, that changes 
everything about your reality, everything about it changes. If there is a sovereign being who created you, designed you, knows how this all works and is working out, we should come to him with fear and trembling, awe and wonder, humility and respect, acknowledging God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You have all authority, not me. For each of my points, I'm going to give you a passage of scripture to stand on. So whether you're weak in an area, strong in an area, you need something to bolster your faith, you can take these down. They'll be in the notes on the online chat, and I'll ask our chat host, too, to throw them in the chat, or maybe you can beat them to it and throw these verses in just to encourage one another when it comes to how we respect the throne and who sits on it. Look at Psalm 102, verse 12. You, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. There is a God. He's enthroned. He will be remembered through all generations. Once we respect the throne and who sits on it, then the second thing to do in overcoming fear is we need to acknowledge the fear. Joseph says this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. And they did. They meant evil against him. Uh, And, you know, sometimes we have to acknowledge that and just come face to face with that. His brothers wanted to kill him. They wanted, they threw him in a pit and then they sold him into slavery. They, they, they tried to get him three different ways, right? We have to sometimes confront the reality that things are bad. Things are scary. Things are uncertain. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. That makes me feel some kind of way. But for us to choose faith over fear, as so many are saying, there has to be fear first that we feel. There's nothing wrong with feeling afraid, but I think there are probably two camps of people. Uh, The first is people that are a little bit more like me, uh, who have a really hard time acknowledging that things are bad. Um, On Strengths Finders, my number one strength is positivity, so even in the bad, I can see the good. Um, And that causes some problems for me because people like me, if, if, if if you are so full of faith that you can't acknowledge that anything is bad, you need to slow down and honestly take a look at things. If not for you, for those around you. Because your brashness in faith will invalidate the feelings of others and cause them to feel neglected, isolated, alone, and departed, and spiraling in their own minds. So if you're like me, let us slow down and acknowledge, I mean, God is good, God is sovereign for sure. But yeah, things are uncertain. There's the other camp, which is uh, everything is bad all the time. We're all going to die today, tomorrow, and the next day. And everything that happens has a negative slant to it. And for you, let me just encourage you with this. You need to find the anchor to your soul because you allow yourself to be buffeted around by the wind and the waves of your emotions and your feelings and your circumstances. And you need to remember that there is an anchor for you to which you can tie yourself that what happens in this world will not rock you and shake you so badly, even though things are scary. It's okay to feel afraid, but what you do with that is so critical because once you feel it, you decide what you're going to feed. And if you feed your fear, you allow your thoughts to spiral, uh, to spin out of control, to obsessively read the news and read bad thing after bad thing after bad thing and check out how bad it is there and there and there. If you feed your fear, your fear will starve your faith. And there will be no faith to return to because your mind will only be full of that which is fearful. But if you feed your faith, your faith will starve your fear. And why this is so critical is what you feed will be what grows. And that which grows in you will become big enough to lead you. And it will lead you somewhere. 
Where's your faith leading you? Where's your fear leading you? Because you can control that. Look at Psalm 32, verse 7. This is David, Psalm 32, verse 7. He says this. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. This is King David who needed a hiding place. He needed sanctuary and he chose to run to God for it. He allowed himself to feed his faith, which took him back to God. You are my hiding place. In you, I find refuge. You preserve me from trouble. So we can acknowledge the fear, but then we need to choose what to feed it. After this, Joseph says, but God meant it for good. Joseph remembered who was in charge. It's the third thing. We respect the throne and who sits on it. We acknowledge the fear, but then we remember who's in charge. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe that God means things for good for you? Not, not can you say it? Not does it preach good? It certainly preaches good. Um, not does it sound good, but do you believe that God actually means good for you? Even when the good hurts, even when the good is not all that pleasant because it's sharpening you, it's refining you, it's cutting away, it's pruning you, do you believe that even in pain, God is working for good for you? Proverbs 19, 21, here's your passage, says this. It says, many are the plans in a man's heart but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can make all kinds of plans, all kinds of dreams, all kinds of aspirations, think things are going this way, that way, and the other thing, make contingencies and whatever, but you know that the purposes of the Lord are that which will stand. God is not blind to our circumstances. We are usually blind to how he's using them and what he's doing with them. Throughout Joseph's entire story, he never doubts God. He never rebukes God. From the point of imprisonment to slavery, of being falsely accused later and um, being put into prison, to being forgotten, to then his brothers coming back, his no good, good for nothing, backstabbing, lying, cheating brothers come back. Does he curse God? Does he take that moment for his own purposes? He doesn't. He remembers who is in charge of his soul and his life, and he has submitted to that. God, you put me here for a reason. You've done this for a reason. You are in charge, not me doesn't mean that everything is good. It means that God can turn everything for good. And a slight perspective change on this whole situation will open your world up to the good that God is doing. I mean, you said you hated your commute. Well, now you get to work from home. You said, I got to stop eating out so much. Well, now you get to cook at home five nights a week. You said, uh, I don't get to see my kids as much as I wanted to. Well, now you do. You said, um, I wish I had time to exercise. Well, now you do. A slight perspective change on all these things will show you that God has given you opportunity he's never given you before. And he has carved space for you. He has tuned you to the needs of your community like never before. And you look at your neighbors and you look at ways, man, not only do I have time to serve, there are immediate pressing needs before me for which I can serve and I can contribute. A slight change reveals God is in charge of all of this. Fourth thing is to trust in his character. Joseph said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive just as they are today. 
You know, because Joseph went through all that he went through, he was in a position to interpret a dream from Pharaoh about a coming famine. Pharaoh puts him in charge of the storehouses for that famine to which Joseph executes the plan and then provides food for a whole nation. He saves countless lives. This is God's intent all along was to save lives. Joseph had to go through a lot to get there, certainly. But if we remember that God's character is that he loves his people, he desires his people, he pursues his people, he protects his people, he cares for you, he loves you, he desires you. Jeremiah 29, 11, his plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. And I don't mean material wealth. Like that, I think that is such a immature way to take that and say, God wants to prosper you. He's going to fill your bank account with money. Man, that is, that is so little. God's plans to prosper you are for you to be healthy in your relationships with him and with your spouse or with your family, healthy as a parent with healthy children, successful in your career, that the favor of God would go through you and that out of you would radiate all the goodness and mercy and grace of God that others would see it and that you would prosper in the land. That is his plan for you, his desire for us. Throughout scripture, God constantly tells us this. He tells us, do not fear. Why? He says, because he's with us, because he's trustworthy, because he'll strengthen us, he'll win for us, he will overcome for us. He says, do not fear, because the fear didn't come from me. In Numbers 23, 19, is God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Did he not say it? Will he not do it? We got to remember the character and the goodness of God, because when God speaks so clearly on a subject, he speaks so directly to a topic, do not fear. You can trust me. When we choose to not believe that, what we are saying is that my feelings are more important than your character. My feelings are more valid or more trustworthy than your character, which we might as well be saying, my emotions are now my God. My feelings rule my life. You don't. We need to reject the way that our feelings are trying to change our beliefs. We need to reject the way our feelings are trying to change our beliefs. You know, your feelings might be valid, but that doesn't mean that they're right. It might be valid to feel the way you're feeling, and if you look objectively at the circumstance, you could see, I mean, it's valid to let some conclusions play out to anticipate things that might happen, but that doesn't mean that you're right. You know, feelings are good indicators, but they're terrible leaders. So we allow them to test the winds for us, but we do not give them control. We trust in the character of a God who cares for us and has our best in mind. So we can trust our feelings or we can trust our God. And the fifth thing is this. We need to choose to be courageous. In verse 21, the next thing Joseph says is this. So, Do not fear. There comes a time in this and in this message that all of these mental hurdles need to be overcome. We need to make the mental hurdle. Uh, I respect the God who sits enthroned in the heavens. I'm acknowledging that things are scary, but I'm gonna gonna feed my faith instead of that. I'm going to trust in the character of God. I'm gonna remember who is in charge. Okay, mentally, I'm there, but that needs to produce action in us. That's gotta result in something from us. We need to choose to be courageous 
in the face of trying times. Whenever scripture gives a command about fear, the language they use is so strong. And so if, if just battling fear is a thing you wrestle with, look at Joshua 1.9 and listen to the language spoken to Joshua. It says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These are active verbs. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. It is as clear as it can be that we can choose courage because we have confidence in who our God is. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That is a truth in scripture. It's a promise. And for those of you, man, let me encourage you, throw this in the chat right now. Make this your personal daily declaration. God has not given me a spirit of fear and I don't want what God didn't give. Write that down in your journal, in your notebook. Speak that over yourself every day. God did not give me a spirit of fear and I don't want what he didn't give. This is who I am. This is what I believe. I know what is mine. What is my inheritance and my birthright? It is not a spirit of fear. That's not what was given to me. We'll choose to be courageous. And then we need to remember the promise, point six. We need to remember the promise. Once Joseph says, do not fear, he says, I will provide for you and your little ones. He makes a promise of provision, not just for them, but for their children as well, the generations to come behind them. Do you know that God has made the same promise to you? In Numbers 6, he commands Aaron to speak this prayer of blessing over the nation. And I believe that that blessing is as true then as it is today. He says this, he says, and I'm just going to speak this over you. Wherever you're at, whenever you're watching this, I just want to speak this blessing over you so that we can remember the promises of God. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There was a promise God spoke through his prophet Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, fear comes from uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's happening today. The dark is scary because I don't know what's going to come out of it at me. Spiders are scary because I don't know if they're going to bite me and kill me. We are afraid of what is uncertain. When we face the fear of uncertainty, let us bolster ourselves on the certain word of a certain God, on the rock of the truth of his promise that we find all throughout scripture. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Can we respect that? Can we honor that? Can we believe that? If he said it, he's gonna do it. And when all else fails, when we don't feel all of that, and I get it, I get it. Fear is not as black and white. But when we... When all else fails, let us remember what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And let me remind you of what happens in the Gospels. When Jesus, crucified, surrenders his spirit unto God, 
and then marches down to the gates of hell and defeats Satan, sin, and death on your behalf and with you in mind. So when we say that the last enemy defeated is death, I'm also here to tell you that it has been defeated, it has been overcome, that there is victory for you even on the other side of that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, that there is a promise not just in this life, but in that to come. That is a promise for you who confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That is promised to you. And that makes my fear melt away. So lastly, number seven, we want to be comforted. Allow yourself to be comforted. The last thing the word says about Joseph, it says, thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. You know, God does the same for you as well. Uh, usually we just need to allow ourselves to feel the comfort. And God comforts us the same way that we comfort one another, where we're present with people. You know, we go and we sit and we grieve with one another through trying times. This is why we have community is so important to be relationally connected in times like these. Um, So you have somebody to walk with and to grieve with. God says in Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. When we are in the presence of God, he brings us comfort. He speaks to us. And all through this message, I've given you scripture after scripture of the truth of what the word of God says to you about overcoming fear. He speaks. So let us listen. And he also listens. Like 1 Peter 5, 7, you can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you know that God is a loving father? He's a gracious friend. He's an almighty king. He knows you. Do you know that he cares to hear your prayers of anxiety cast upon him? Do you know that nothing would make him happier than hearing you lay at his feet your burdens through prayer? Not the beautiful packaged one of, of, I know it's all gonna work out, but the blubbering, the red eyes, the snotty nose. God, I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know how to trust you. I don't know where you are. God, would you just show yourself to me? And like a loving father, he will pick you up in a warm embrace and comfort you with his presence, with his words, and with an ear that is tuned to hear your very heart. Philippians 4, 7 says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will be what guards you against the fears of this world, the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus, the word of scripture, the present help of a present God will be that which guards you and comforts you if you allow it, if you let it, If you're watching tonight and you don't have that peace, you haven't felt that nearness to God, either because you've never given your life to him or because maybe you did a long time ago or recently and you're not really sure what that means or looks like and you'd like to reset with him and rededicate your life to him. In a moment, you're gonna have an opportunity to do that. If you just need prayer in this moment, you believe Jesus is Lord, but man, these are, these are trying times, they're scary, and I just need someone to bolster my faith. 
you, I want you to click the live prayer button up in the corner. So if you're just looking for prayer, I want you to click that live prayer button. We have pastors and staff members right now in this chat who will pray with you. They'll pray with you in the chat or they can give you a call, whatever you like, but they will stand with you and support you. But if this is you who've never felt the peace of God, who have never felt the nearness of God, you've never professed with your mouth, you've never believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, they're gonna drop into the chat a moment that says, I raise my hand. And raising that hand means I wanna give my life to Christ. And so if that's you, would you click that button and then click the next button that says request prayer. It is our greatest honor. It is the desire of our hearts. It is quite literally the calling that God has called us to, to walk with you through things like this. So allow us the privilege of doing that with you. Lastly, I just want to leave you with this verse from Psalm 31, verse 24. Be strong and take heart, all of you who have hope in the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is near to us, that you are close to us, that you are present to us. God, I thank you that your word speaks so strongly and so boldly to how we are to face fear in this world. God, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we found in the fellowship of the saints and the community of believers, that we have a word that is an eternal rock on which we can stand, that we have a God who is near to us, who is present with us and who listens to us, God. Would you hear the cries of your people as we call out to you? And God, would you answer them? Lord, my prayer is that you would reveal yourself to them like never before in this time that you would open blind eyes, that you would turn stone hearts to flesh. And God, that you would do that which only you can do to be a firm foundation upon which we can build our lives, to be the anchor to our souls, to give us the strength and the courage to face the troubles that we have in this world. And just like Jesus said, you know, we will have troubles in this world, but we can take heart because you, God, have overcome this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, it's been so good to be with you. Can't wait to see you on Sunday morning. And I really can't wait to be back in person with you whenever that time comes. We love you and we miss you. And may God bless you.